Our aim is providing a network of high-powered chargers. Drive up the highest mountain passes in an electric car and you're worry-free. The future is always upon us and in technology that's even more true. We've all seen the headlines. Petrol and diesel cars are on their way out. So much so that by 2030, the UK will ban selling any new vehicle powered by these fuels. And according to the latest research, at least one household in four will buy an electric vehicle in the next five years, approximately 6.5 million in total. But with all these new EVs hitting our streets, one question is yet to be properly answered. Where are they all going to charge? That's right. For electric-powered vehicles, topping up between journeys isn't quite as simple as filling up an empty petrol tank. And while fast charging stations are cropping up all over the country, it's worth taking a closer look at how this technology is developing, where these charges are most likely to be found, and whether our driving habits must change, especially on longer journeys. So, if range anxiety is keeping you up at night, don't worry. This is the future of the car, a brand new podcast brought to you by Audi Update. In today's episode, we're taking a closer look at charging infrastructure, possibly the biggest challenge when it comes to achieving global zero emissions in personal transport. And rather than simply focus on the UK, we're heading off to Switzerland to find out how this country is aligning a vibrant tourism industry with ambitious sustainability targets. We catch up with an official from Visit Switzerland and head out for a drive around the capital Zurich. En route, we find out how a dense network of charging stations guarantees comfortable and clean driving on a 1,600-kilometre loop around the country. We also speak to the founder of ZapMap and fast charging innovators Ionity to learn about how EV charging is evolving and what is being done to make it quicker, easier and much more efficient. Hi there, my name is John Silcox and today you're joining me on the outskirts of Zurich in Switzerland where I'm currently driving through a neighbourhood you'd probably describe as the Swiss equivalent to Shoreditch in London. There's a lot of post-industrial architecture, trendy looking young people, actually people of all ages, riding around on bikes, there's some pop-up cafes, it's pretty cool. And I'm here because I've got an appointment with someone who's going to tell me about the future of Swiss tourism and explain why we've got the idea of Heidi, fondue, chocolate and yodelling all a little bit wrong when it comes to this country. I think that's him standing over there next to some trees. Yep, he's waving. Uh, OK, I'll just let him in the car and uh, let's meet him. Hi there, Sam. Hey. Hi, John. How are you doing? Very good. Welcome to the Q4. Thank you. You've given us this meeting point. Tell me why you chose here and yeah, tell me a little bit about the area and then we can move on to maybe a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, we are in uh, Winterthur, city where I live. And yeah, I picked that because it kind of shows that Switzerland is not only about chocolate and cheese and Alp descent, but also has a more modern kind of cool, cool edge from uh, industrial areas such as here, but art museums and art Basel, art fairs and much, much more. Winterthur as, as town is about uh, 20 to 30 minutes from, from Zurich. I suggest uh, we drive to the Hotel Dolder, um, which is just on top of Zurich, on the hill overlooking the lake of Zurich, but also Zurich as a town. And it's a perfect example for sustainable tourism within Switzerland. Sounds great. Okay. 
Right, this has got quite a funky touchscreen. I don't know if you're familiar with some of the MMI features on Audi, but don't laugh at my terrible handwriting. <laughs> this is a UK car, so as you can tell, I'll normally have to write this with my left hand. I won't, because you won't understand anything. I already write like a doctor, uh, so let's see if this finds it. D-O-L-D-E-R, and that is like spider writing on the screen. D-O-L-D-E-R. Okay, that worked, it liked it. And let's say... Space. If it takes my hotel, which, yeah. H-O-T-E-L. So it's telling us it's 23 kilometers away. It expects us to get there in just over half an hour. And it's even showing us the weather outside, 16 degrees. I must admit, it feels a little bit colder than 16 degrees at the moment. We're not very lucky, are we? No, it's a chilly, chilly summer day. Yep, we're all good to go. So that's the car started. No noise, because this is an all-electric Audi. That's it into gear, just so you understand a little bit better. So there's two elements here. There's the drive, which is the normal efficient. I'll put it into efficiency mode, yeah. just because we don't want to do any great speed, but there's a, a fast mode. D is just for drive, but you've also got a B on there, which most people with an automatic might not know. Yeah. But this gives you regenerative braking. So it oh, makes okay. our battery last for even longer. And though, even though we've got just 37 uh, percent on this battery because I didn't charge it up last night. <laughs> it's still telling us we've got 180 kilometers range, which That's, to be honest isn't bad. It's almost enough to cross Switzerland to north to south. Oh really? Oh, okay. Well, let's uh, let's maybe not put that to the test <laughs> right at the moment if you want to see your uh, your partner and your children tonight. But tell me about your job. What do you do, Sam? So I think our listeners should find out why we've sort of picked you up and uh, why you're such an interesting person to speak to about tourism in Switzerland. I'm still uh, nervous about uh, being driven around in Switzerland, sitting on the left side and uh, being steered on the right-hand side. <laughs> so uh, sorry for any uh, confusion. <laughs> Hopefully we don't hear any screams. This is the, <laughs> the main thing. And if it makes you feel better, you can pretend to have a wheel. Exactly. <laughs> I'm uh, interim head of business development at Switzerland Tourism the tourism agency responsible for Switzerland as a travel destination. And as part of my uh, job, I've also been uh, responsible for the sustainability initiative that Switzerland Tourism and the whole industry, tourism industry within Switzerland launched just a few months ago. Switzerland has always been uh, proud and kind of based on sustainable elements, uh, tourism within Switzerland. Um, actually, Funny enough, the roots of tourism in Switzerland go back many, many years, like in the 1850s. Davos was kind of conquered by a lot of British people for its good air. Okay. To kind of recover after a long... Um, also tuberculosis yes, and that, yeah, yes. okay. So that was one of the roots of tourism within Switzerland. And ever since, you know, nature, clean air, clean water has been a big, big selling point. What we have never kind of done is to wrap this as sustainable offering. Right, okay. We, for us, it always came natural. And with the, the rise of a increased demand for sustainability in general, but in specific with regards to, to tourism, we realized that there is a gap between the data, kind of all the ratings and the rankings about sustainable tourist destination okay. and what is perceived. And Switzerland was not really perceived as such. 
despite data shows something else. Mm-hmm. So we said, first of all, we need to close this gap, yeah. make Switzerland kind of nowhere for what we stand for. But also, on the other hand, yeah, sustainability is a journey and it doesn't end somewhere. But, of course, yeah. It's... So we need to continue as, as an industry, as a country, to, to increase our offering in uh, this regard. Switzerland is now one of the world leaders in sustainable tourism and offers a wide array of eco-friendly holiday options. What's unmissable and what's our reason for coming here to Switzerland are the amazing roads. Do you enjoy driving? Do you like getting out to the countryside? Yes, yes, absolutely. In the UK especially, shows like Top Gear have really put them (laughs) on the map for fans of driving. Amazing hairpins that go up into these incredible sort of vistas forever. Yeah, tell me about maybe some of the, the, the best places you've been and the roads you like. Well, I mean, Switzerland is easy to get around, not only by public transport, but obviously also by, by car. And uh, as we said in the beginning, I mean, uh, highways are the fastest way, but not, not the nicest way. And especially if you get into kind of the corner areas of our country, you know, there, the scenic routes are just amazing. A few years ago, Switzerland tourism kind of summed all this up in the Grand Tour. Mm-hmm. of Grand Tour of Switzerland, which is basically one round trip through Switzerland, connecting all the touristic highlights that we have to offer. Okay, and for you, what are the, this Grand Tour, it's, um, you can start it kind of wherever you want, and you can finish it wherever you want, but it shows the amazing diversity and, yeah, things to do in Switzerland. What would be your kind of highlights on this Grand Tour? So. Uh, maybe maybe sum it up. It's what 1,600 miles. Is that the case or kilometers? Sorry. Uh, yep, yep. That's that's the case. I think about as many lakes and uh, rivers, <laughs> <laughs> which is for me also you know with just showing uh, not only the beauty but also the resources that we have and that uh, we want to protect. Here is some uh, fun facts for you. About one eighth of the surface of uh, Switzerland is protected area, as in national parks. Oh, wow. So I think nature is, is a very, very important element, not only when it comes to protecting, but also when it comes to enjoying yeah. uh, Switzerland. And the highlights, I think, uh, from, a, from a touring um, point of view are obviously all, all the passes, uh, the mountain passes. If you drive not to arrive, but actually to to travel, then the passes, uh, but also all the lakes to cruise by, I think that's just amazing, yeah. amazing to see and to experience. And then you can stop on the Grand Tour whenever, wherever you want and uh, experience the local Switzerland. The pandemic has, I think, in all of us kind of brought something back to, to realize it's not just the more and the faster, but... Uh, diving in deeper and really experiencing and that is what we promote for for our guests as well so we we promote experiencing switzerland for longer because we are convinced that there is so much to offer and so many different um, aspects as we said in uh, in the very beginning from the kind of really touristic chocolate and and cheese and uh um, kind of Alp uh, image, but also a very more modern uh, part. And for this, kind of not only, you know, uh, ticking the Jungfrau and uh, ticking Lucerne, 
really seeing something something else as well. That's what we uh, promote and what is also a more a more sustainable way of uh, traveling. Mm. Well, that's really really interesting and very different. One thing as well about sort of getting away and getting to see more of the country. We're today driving around in an Audi Q4 e-tron. So this is, as we sort of mentioned, all electric. Switzerland is very, very advanced in its adoption of electric charge points for cars. There's a, an app you can sort of yeah. see, which is made by a Swiss sort of, I don't know if it's a Swiss government or a Swiss company. Yeah. And uh, you, can, you can barely see the rest of the country because of all these spots of EV chargers. It's a joy and it really stops you sort of worrying about where next to charge up. And you've also got sort of charging points all over the country and fast chargers to help. Yeah. Is this something the tourism office is enhancing and embracing as well, this idea of sort of electric tourism? Yeah, absolutely. And as we developed the Grand Tour of Switzerland, it was from the beginning clear to us that this needs to be electrified as well. Back then, it wasn't 100%, so we made sure that it that it was. Yeah. We made sure that um, there are enough charging stations along the route to experience Switzerland, not only scenically, but also electrically. Yeah. But by now, as you, as you pointed out, you don't have to worry at all. And I think even though some people are still driving fossil and kind of worried, you know, is there a charging uh, close by? In fact, you don't have to worry. To be honest, it's the perfect example, the fact that you can drive up uh, some of the highest, well, the highest mountain <laughs> passes in Europe in an electric car and you're worry-free. It yeah. kind of shows if you can do that, basically, you can probably do it more or less anywhere. What's also brilliant is you've not only just got regular charging stations, you've got these fast chargers, and that makes all the difference, especially yeah. when you're charging a high-capacity vehicle. Perhaps now is a good opportunity to take a break from Sam and John and jump on a call with Pierre Brettschneider, who works for the high-powered charging station network Ionity. Recently, she has been tirelessly working to develop a pan-European network of super-fast EV chargers, enabling electric car drivers to use their vehicles on much longer journeys. So my name is Pia Brettschneider and I'm country manager for UK and Ireland at Ionity. Ionity is a charge point operator. So our aim is to enable the transition to electric mobility by providing a network of high power chargers. And these are chargers that are 350 kilowatt chargers. So they're very fast. They're located conveniently at motorway service areas at junctions at key travel routes. It's an open network for all brands of EVs and every location where we install, we, we have on average four to six charging points. Most of them will have space to expand as we go as well. And important is also that the stations are powered by 100% green energy as well. On the European scene, Ionity is now one of the big players in travel charging. You can see their stations dotted about motorway service stations throughout the continent. The company was founded in November of 2017, so we're currently in 24 countries. At this stage, we have 359 locations that are live. 
and open to the public and about 40 charging stations locations that are under construction. Ionity is a company that's owned by car makers so the shareholders we have the BMW group we have the VW group with the brands Audi and Porsche uh, Ford Motor Company Mercedes-Benz and also the Hyundai Motor Group so there are these car manufacturers behind the company and it's a really a joint uh, challenge for them to have the infrastructure in place so that they essentially can then convince their customers to make the transition to electric. Our philosophy or that of our shareholders has been that basic infrastructure has to be in place before the cars can be sold. Otherwise, you get this like chicken and egg problem. While many EV owners have electric charging stations at home, problems can arise on longer journeys. This is where Ionity comes in, trying to make a pan-European network of high-powered chargers rendering long-distance travel in an EV as simple as in a traditional internal combustion engine car. Our target has been to provide that sort of missing link where we were seeing that, you know, there are local communities, for example, their authorities, they're putting in chargers, supermarkets are having chargers, hotels are getting into the charging business, at least, you know, having overnight chargers for their guests. But there was really a lacking infrastructure on the motorway service areas, meaning that there wasn't anything in place. So we have in the UK, we have uh, 15 charging locations that have each at least four chargers on there. Some of them will have six chargers. We have a couple of other stations that are in construction at the moment. And you can see all of those on the maps. So if anyone wants to see where is the closest one to their home, for example, they can go to the Ionity website. They can see our map. I would also encourage actually everyone who has an EV and hasn't been to an Ionity station yet to to go and check it out. I think for the ones that maybe are Audi customers and Audi drivers, hopefully they will have their Audi e-tron charging service card and all of our chargers will be integrated into that offer so that the payment and using the chargers is then really simple. EV charging has experienced some teething problems in the past with complicated payment and subscription models, but Ionity is clear that they want to make everything as simple as possible for its users integration of the chargers is a big thing for us and that essentially means that you know you don't have to have your wallet full of different cards like one card for every provider so ideally you have all of that integrated into one offer and you just use one card of your preference and you can do all of your charging your public charging uh, demand with that card So that's the big thing for us and we have colleagues that are working specifically with this topic. We have also what's pretty cool is also the plug and charge feature as well. So that's active on a part of our network and the Audi e-tron is also supports the plug and charge function. So that takes even another step out, the authorization step out of the process. So that means that instead of tapping the charger with the card, you actually just literally like plug in your car, connect it to the charger. And thanks to the self-authorization between the car and the charger, you don't actually have to do anything. You know, it's a small thing, but it's also one thing how you can still further simplify the process for the customer. And I think that's really the key is making charging as easy and as convenient as possible and get rid of the hurdles and the barriers and the worries that people might have in their mind. 
So while you're then charging your car, we've also picked locations where the customers can make the most out of their time. So they can have a cup of coffee or get a snack, use the toilets and, and that sort of thing. In the Audi Q4 e-tron that John and Sam are driving around Zurich, charging from 20 to 80% at an Ionity charger would roughly take half an hour. You know, we're finding that once you start driving an EV, actually very few people ever want to go back and drive a combustion engine vehicle after that. Also, what the study found is that out of the non-EV drivers, so 8 out of 10, almost 80% of people had little information around EVs, really. So I think there's also an aspect of educating the customers and the users. Pierre's comments are food for thought, but let's now get back to John and Sam, where actual food is what's on the duo's mind. You made me think about this just because we're approaching lunch and I haven't had anything to eat yet. <laughs> um, food, important part of Switzerland. Everyone thinks from outside of Switzerland that the Swiss only eat fondue. And that is, I'm sure, not at all true. And there's a much more diverse and complex history to culinary delights from Switzerland. Please take me through this a little bit. Well, I mean, Swiss not only fondue, but also chocolate. Uh, <laughs> now we're going down the stereotypes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just to put another um, stereotype into it. No, I mean, obviously, uh, there is much, much more to offer Switzerland being kind of always open to the world. Uh, many, many food trends have set foot in our country. And I think uh, today, especially in the bigger, bigger cities, you can basically find everything, but still, Swiss people are, and, and also our chefs, are proud of our roots. So blending tradition to new trends, I think that's, uh, that's something that we are proud of. And yep. uh, in this route also goes, you know, the whole vegan, uh, oh, yeah. also vegetarian food. Yeah, vegetarian and uh, vegan are not only growing, but have also arrived with our star chefs. The whole gastronomy is is an important aspect to tourism mm. and Switzerland. I learned Switzerland has the highest density, not only to public transport, but also to um, kind of Michelin Gourmet uh, chefs. Oh, wow. So, okay. Michelin-style um, chefs more than yeah. Switzerland, the highest density. Wow. We're proud of the quality and the variety of our kitchens that we have. And more and more chefs are going um, into a more, more sustainable offering there. Uh, you know, serving uh, completely uh, kind of local local food. We have a few restaurants that have zero mile uh, menu, so nice. you know, from their own farm to fork, yeah. as it's as it's called. That's a lovely way of doing it. Another aspect of I don't know interesting Switzerland beyond the chocolate and the cheese. You've got many very important world organisations that are based here in Switzerland. So for the slightly more, I don't know, intellectual traveller, they can come and sort of feel like they're at the pulsing heart of international decisions. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, Geneva is certainly kind of the hub for that. Yeah, the UN being uh, in Geneva and through that many other organisations kind of nestling around. Um, the same goes for the, for the sporting world. To, to Lausanne, mm -hmm. so the IOC being located in the beautiful city of uh, Lausanne. If you have not visited the Olympic Museum, uh, you certainly should. Okay, no, um, I haven't. Tell me about it. Very, very nice. Uh, not only 
being just located right at the lake of Geneva. The terrace overlooking and you can actually have a wonderful dinner there at the cafe. But inside, you know, there are so many uh, memorabilia of Olympic uh, medal winners. Um, there is a lot of history and, and facts about uh, the Olympic movement. So mm -hmm. very, very nice. And as well there, you know, many of the other federations kind of uh, moved into Lausanne, just being close to, to the IOC. And the same goes for Zurich. Uh, Zurich also has uh, many international uh, organizations uh, being here. There is actually the FIFA Museum, yep. which I'm going to visit soon. <laughs> it's my boy's uh, birthday, and uh, that's, that's the place to go for a boy's uh, birthday. So Sounds like a great place. Okay, who do you support? Is there... Well, Switzerland, obviously, as a, as a country. With regards to club, I'm, I'm not going to release my favorite club to an Englishman. <laughs> oh, wow. Gloves off. All right, then. Let's leave John and Sam time to work that one out and instead break for a coffee and go for a journey through time with Ben Lane, who is the founder of ZapMap and has seen the UK's charging facilities develop radically since the early days. 2009, I co-founded Next Green Car Limited, and there's a nextgreencar.com website which is still there. And, and at the time, there were there were too many options. There was you know petrol, diesel of various flavors, LPG, CNG, biofuels of various flavors, electric, hydrogen, and others. And it was very confusing for consumers to know what they should buy. And then we added, uh, essentially, we added a map. If you've got an electric car, you, you need to know where you can charge. We added an EV map to Next Green Car. And within a year, that, that one page became the most important page. There was more traffic on that page than anywhere else in the site. So we decided to, to spin that out as its own project. What rhymes with map? Zap rhymes with map. There's the brand. I still remember where I was and uh, quickly bought up all the domains I could that had Zap map in them. The brand was launched and then we span those pages out onto its own website and that was the, the birth of Zap map. And our, yeah, and our mission is all about supporting the transition to zero carbon mobility. A bit of a mouthful, but we, that's what gets us out of bed in the morning. Our strap line is charging made simple because it has to be simple for people to use it, and yeah, life's complicated enough. Back in the beginning, the map was much more sparse than it is now, and although Ben isn't quite sure of the exact number of charges it started with, he definitely knows that there weren't many of them. I'm pretty sure there were 743, <laughs> but I can't remember if they were locations or, or devices, but, but there were 743 <laughs> devices or connectors on the first map. We just passed, actually, just in the last couple of days before making this podcast, uh, 25,000 devices, by which we mean a box. So when you turn up at a charging location and a charge, charging point, generally you see a box, yeah, which is a, a technical term for a box. And uh, on those devices, you'll find a number of connectors. So we've got uh, over 44,000 connectors on those 25,000 charging boxes. The other KPI is how many locations. So those devices are spread across 16,000 locations in the UK. And uh, looking at the board now, we've had 577 devices added in the last 30 days. So things and things are accelerating. You know, we we track the market, and uh, the market is continuing to to accelerate as far as installs are concerned, which is exactly as it should be. 25,000 devices, you know, of various flavours. That's that's uh, slow, fast, rapid, and now ultra 
rapid, 100 kilowatts plus. By the end of this decade, we need a factor of 10 more than that. We need to have got to 250,000. It's funny, you know, there's a wow. It's like, you know, oh my God as well. You know, can we do it? Put it this way, if the only thing between one of the world's largest economies, if the only thing for that economy to become totally electric, as far as its mobility concerned, is the order of 200,000 charging points, i.e. connectors to the grid. If that's the only thing in the way, I don't think that, that that's not much of a barrier at all. We've got the vehicles. The quality is absolutely fantastic. The performance and the drive surpasses anything that petrol diesel can offer. Sorry, petrol heads listening in, but it's true. Go and try one. Uh, one only 1% 1 of people who have electric vehicles want to go back. We've got the technology for the charging units. We've got the renewables to supply those charging units. If the only thing is putting boxes in the ground, you know, we're trying to get people to Mars. This, this is not of that order. If that's the biggest problem to getting zero, zero emission mobility, then the question's wrong or the, the setup's wrong. We're, we're nearly there. This is the last stage. Uh, and in fact, I think a bigger problem is what we do about the 40% of households who don't have off-street parking. The, the pioneers nearly adopters with electric vehicles who are buying electric vehicles now, the majority of them have off-street parking because they yeah, tend to be wealthier households, tend to have drives, to, you know, obvious reasons. When electric vehicles uh, are ubiquitous, when they're the only technology, technology in, you know, available for electric vehicles, then we certainly need to have solutions, technology solutions, for how do we charge up cars overnight for people who don't have driveways, who are in high-rise flats, who don't have any local parking. Uh, central London, yeah, there's definitely an urban issue, not only, but, but primarily. Um, and there we have to get a three-kilowatt connection for five metres from a building to the edge of the pavement. So we do need some solutions, but they're not high-tech. And again, you know, if, if you think that's a block to delivering zero-carbon mobility for you know, the world's sixth largest economy, then you know, look elsewhere for the problems. It's not a huge problem. It's a problem to be solved, not quite there yet, but it's just about doing something. It's not about inventing something. It's, it's about implementation and finding some money and some wherewithal to do it. So that's the past and the present covered off. But what does Ben think is on the horizon for ZapMap? And also, what's coming next for EV infrastructure? I'm CTO and I guess one of my jobs is to see what technologies are coming. And I like thinking where we're going to be in 10 years time. So for me, the excitement and the opportunities are to create tools that we're going to need in 10 years. And of course, 10 years isn't very long. We get there, we get there very quickly. We're talking about 2030 now which would be demise of the combustion engine, you know, that'll be upon us, you know, well, obviously nine years. But, but as far as planning is concerned, now everyone knows it's 2030, it will start impacting in boardroom decisions now, if it hasn't already. So the, the future is always upon us. And in technology, that's even more true. If you're a company or, you know, a building manager or, you know, own some building space, whether that's private or, or business, if you haven't yet thought about EV charging, then do something. Put in a seven kilowatt charger, one. Just get started. If, you, if you're responsible for some parking bays, install something. Because if you don't, you're going to be behind the curve. You're going to have people turning up asking you where to charge. And they're relatively low cost. We're talking hundreds of pounds, not thousands. And yeah, if you're responsible for something in the public space, 
um, or even the semi-public space, like community centre that has a drive where you could rent out some space, like people have been renting out their parking spaces, put a charger in and rent it out. You can put the charger on, uh, on ZapMap and then people will come. So that's the past and the present covered off. But what does Ben think is on the horizon for ZapMap, as well as general electric car infrastructure? You know, in the old world, we had petrol stations and you, know, you couldn't refuel at home. You couldn't refuel in the garage. It's just, you know, verboten because it's dangerous, right? Remember, it's, it's a flammable fuel, petrol, diesel, less so. But so in the, in the future, I think we're going to have a, a number of different charging, you know, situations. You know, I, I mentioned the four before, the home, the work, destination, sort of, you know, where you park for a couple of hours, leisure centre, retail site, whatever, and, and en route, you know, motorways. So we will certainly have lots more hubs, and we certainly need lots more hubs. They should be beautiful places to be, They're places we can do some work. But, you know, I think we can improve on the petrol station experience, which isn't, you, not everyone wants to hang out at a petrol station for 40 minutes. And, but 40 minutes is a nice time to do a bit of work or take a break. So the, the, the grid serve site at Braintree, is a, there's a car dealership there, uh, there's a place to work, uh, as well as, you know, get, getting something to eat and a, and a coffee. So I, I think there will be, we need a lot more of those and we need them to be nice places to be. Because, you know, part of modern life, like it or not, <laughs> is that we're, we're on the move and we're doing stuff all the time. The majority, yeah, 80% plus of charging events are at home overnight. And we need that for the grid. The grid has excess or has available power overnight. So we, we don't want everyone only going to these hubs. These hubs are for longer journeys. Uh, and these hubs are great for people like myself who don't have charging points at home. I, I think of it as grazing. I think we will be grazing for energy. So you, you, know, you go to a leisure center, maybe you're in the pool for an hour, the car should be on a seven kilowatt unit for an hour. You get 20% charge up. You go to a supermarket without naming names, but some, you know, have a look on ZapMap. You can search by supermarket. You can see who's doing the most. You might be shopping for an hour. Why not get a 20% charge there as well? Some of them are offering free, some, some not, but they're all, you know, very, very, you know, very good value. Or you, you might go to a, you might be on a, on holiday and go to a hotel in the Outer Hebrides and, hey, you've got a choice of two. One of them's got an overnight charger, so, of course, you go to that one. You go and have an exact map. You can search by hotels and brands, anything you like. But, you know, these are the places where we're going to be charging, not always at sites that look like petrol stations. Back in Switzerland, it seems that John and Sam have got over their sporting disagreements and they're now safely back talking about their favourite topic, food. So, as we're just approaching Dolder now, just wanting to check, have you heard about Birchenmuesli yet? Uh, I don't think I have, no. What's, what's that? <laughs> Birchenmuesli, and that's, um, I, I'm actually mentioning this now because we're um, very close to the birthplace of the famous Birchenmuesli. Birchenmuesli is a, is a special uh, breakfast uh, cereal of Switzerland, and uh, Dr. Bircher, he was actually grown up and working just around the corner. So Birchermusli is basically grated apple, some milk and some oats, which Dr. Bircher found out that this is uh, not only very tasty, but also very good for, for your health. And you can uh, throw in some strawberries, uh, local f fresh uh, Swiss strawberries, and whatever else you, you find in, in your garden or uh, 
in the supermarket. That nearby. sounds delicious. And I'm actually now going to say I have heard of uh, Birher Muesli, which I think you've just uh, pronounced. <laughs> However, as an idiot Englishman, we call it Bircher Muesli. We, massa- okay. we massacre the pronunciation. So it's really good to have learned how to actually say that properly. I can show off to all my friends when I get home. <laughs> Oh, they're just pointing at us. I don't well, think they've seen it. I think it's a... you. <laughs> you think it's my face? <laughs> they're like, who is that strange-looking man? Probably because we've got uh, an English car with English plates. What's this? That is the Dol de Grand. Not only one of the nicest five-star hotels of uh, Zurich, but also of Switzerland and probably of the world, but also um, a Earthcheck certified hotel. Earth check being one of the sustainability uh, certifications in the hotel industry and the Dolder Grand is uh, one of those hotels being certified in, in the highest category. And with this certification, the Dolder Grand is also part of the sustainable sustainability programs. With this, a sustainable brand also makes it easy for our guests to make a sustainable selection when uh, choosing hotels restaurants, cable cars, whatsoever. So basically, if you want to experience Switzerland, not only as a sustainable country, but also in a more sustainable way, just look out for the sustainable uh, brand. Nice. Sustainable standing for... The stamp, the stamp of the approval. Swiss way of, uh, yeah. Of doing holidays. Exactly. Uh, that's a very good piece of information. Oh, lovely. Well, I must admit, I know this is an incredible view. The Dolder looks like... It looks like what you expect a Swiss hotel to look like, doesn't it? Oh, my God. But it's, it's, it's more than that. How old is it? Is this one of the old ones in Zurich? Has it been here well, a long time? Yeah, I mean, if, you know, looking, looking at the hotel, you can see the old towers and, and the old part, but uh, you can also see that there is a very, very modern um, attachment to it. Yep. And I think, uh, I mean, that's kind of nicely summing up what uh, Switzerland also stands for. So this... Um, combination of tradition but also a modern very high quality approach what a view to wake up for that's quite sensational i can understand why you recommended driving to this hotel um yeah that's yeah really really luxury and is that blending as well so you've got trees you've got some of the landscape you've got the hills all around you've got the city it's uh, very very nice on this uh, afternoon sun yeah, and I mean, just looking on the other side of, of the city, there is another hill with also a, also a cable car up there. And I think that's the beauty of our Swiss cities that, yes, you're in a metropolitan city, but nature is always very, very close to it. Despite you're in Geneva or in, uh, in Zurich, you're just kind of 10 to 15 minutes away of uh, being out, out in the green, out on the water or up on a mountain. Very, very nice. Okay, well, Sam, as nice as it's been chatting to you here today, and as much as I've enjoyed your company, I think the allure of this hotel is a little bit too much for me, so I'm going to have to go and leave you and check it out for myself and hopefully find out just how high the cotton count is there in, <laughs> in their bedsheets and how good their Bircham usually is for breakfast. We'll spare you having to listen to John Gloat whilst reviewing the hotel and instead call it a day for now. We do hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of The Future of the Car by Audi Update and that you'll be joining us next time where we'll be heading into central London to dive headfirst into the exciting world of materials and fashion. 
Not only do we discover how old fishing nets and plastic bottle tops are finding their way onto the catwalk and inside your car, but we also learn that some people will pay top dollar to sleep in a room completely covered in pineapples. Thanks very much and goodbye.